Technology has enabled dramatic advances in healthcare, but in some cases, speed and precision may have come at the expense of human interaction and empathy. We need to re-humanize healthcare and empower clinicians to improve the delivery of both treatment and care. Welcome to Nuance in Healthcare, a project by Nuance Communications. In this season, we look at the evolving field of clinical documentation improvement, or CDI. As more hospitals launch health management and quality initiatives, leaders should ensure their staffs are empowered to accurately document each patient's story without overburdening them. Listen in to hear how leading healthcare professionals are using artificial intelligence and other technologies to improve patient outcomes and deliver more value to the healthcare organizations they work for. In today's episode, I speak with Angie Curry, a client services manager at Nuance. In this episode, we discuss Angie's unique journey, some of the resistance that she sees to CDI, and how our goal should be accuracy in every aspect of care. Let's begin with Angie explaining what she does on a practical level. I assist my clients in managing their CDI programs. And that can mean a lot of different things. I like to tell them that I am their primary contact for all things nuance related to CDI. And if I don't know the answer, I can generally find someone who does. And again, that way, you know, they're not trying to remember four or five different contact people. They can contact me and then and then I attempt to engage the right person on our team. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So just like kind of generally speaking, if I was to look at your week, what kinds of things are you doing? Lots of presentations with the clients. One of the things we like to do is an annual update. So we look at their most recent 12 months performance. We can do some some different analytics and then assist them with areas of opportunity for their next year. And that way we're ensuring that everybody is constantly striving towards improving their program and not becoming complacent. So I know just from talking to you even before the interview that you have kind of a unique CDI journey so far. Could you give me the thousand foot look on that? Absolutely. I like to say that my CDI journey actually started with nuance. I worked at my local hospital as a nurse educator and was looking to expand into a management position. The management position they had posted was CDI manager. And I laugh now because at that time I actually had to Google what is CDI. So I I interviewed for that position and took it. And immediately I was put in contact with um, my nuance program manager. And he assists me with really learning, you know, what the software entailed, those basic acronyms that we use in CDI, and then even further, how to interpret the reports, making sure that I kept my team educated and those kind of things. From that position, I actually took another position outside of my local hospital where I had the opportunity to be a regional CDI director. And and that was a very interesting role, Um, having hospitals in different states with different managers on site and then assisting them in a remote capacity as a leader. And then finally, I say I got to come full circle when last year I I came to work at Nuance as, as a client service manager. You're on a board too, correct? Yes. As I began my CDI journey, I became uh, associated with ACTUS, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists. 
It is a national organization um, for people around the United States that, that do the same job. And so that was one of the things in the beginning that was very comforting <laughs> was to find other program managers or even just CDSs that, that shared some of the same strife that I had seen. Um, it was comforting to know that the issues I saw in Missouri were also going on in Arizona and Mississippi and New York. <laughs> and, and so that uh, gave me not only some camaraderie, but also you know, the idea that we were all struggling with a lot of the same things related to our CDI programs and where did they need to go next and, and even things like how to communicate with, with their physicians. So that became a, a really important thing to me. I got involved in the state of Missouri and then I applied to be on the ACTUS Advisory Board. So the ACTUS Advisory Board works on position papers for the industry, does surveys, offers education, um, and again, the, that camaraderie, the, those um, professional resources and, and contacts for you, which again have been invaluable. So I was elected to um, that board. It is a four-year term, a, a voluntary board, where you, you have the opportunity to participate in all of that. And so really bringing um, my ACTUS experience and my CDI experience back to Nuance has really been a pleasure. It's just been a journey. I never would have imagined if you'd have told me when I started my nursing career 22 years ago, this is where I would be. I would have said, what? I can imagine. The thing that I was thinking of when I was reflecting on your journey so far is it seems like your lens of all of this is probably broadened with each step. And I think it might be helpful for the listener because we have listeners in all different spots and, and vocations within the CDI field. How did you look at CDI when, say, you were a nurse? Like, what aspects of CDI were important during that phase of your journey? I would say in the beginning, I think one of the most difficult pieces for me was to really wrap my head around how I was using my clinical expertise to assist the patient, so obviously, most of us become nurses to make an impact in, in someone's life, and, and generally that's the patient. And so, you know, that, that's always something that, that we have in the back of our minds. So sometimes transitioning away from patient care, it's difficult to really see how you're still making that impact. So a couple different things that, that I think were really helpful is your medical record. If you've ever had a medical record that's inaccurate or um, has something, you know, in there that's just not you, it's very difficult process to get those things removed out of your own medical record. And so I think CDI plays such a huge piece in that accuracy of the medical record, you know, beyond even a lot of the things we do for our daily job related to reimbursement on the patient side, that, that accuracy of your medical record is invaluable. And then the other piece, of course, is assisting the providers. They have a really huge learning curve. There are so many rules and regulations and, you know, some of the stuff that we do in CDI, they have to even say it in a particular way. Um, and so I feel like really being that bridge and assisting with that gap of the clinical knowledge and then, you know, what's required from the different agencies for reporting and documentation, um, you know, to say, I know this doesn't make sense. However, this is how you have to say it. And I think that that growth has really 
um, assisted me in, in keeping that core passion for what we do in CDI because it really is important and it does affect the patient. Mm-hmm. And then so as you grew in your role, like as you started managing on a, a regional standpoint and then even now with your position at Nuance, how has your your lens or your view of CDI changed or expanded? I think that the biggest change or expansion has been on a couple different things. So, you know, unfortunately, part of what we are doing in healthcare is a business. So the financial conversations that we sometimes have, particularly with the administrators at the hospitals, I feel like those have to happen. You know, sometimes as a CDS staff member or even a CDI program manager, the financial conversations are the ones you don't want to have. It, it seems to kind of be the elephant in the room. However, again, because we all need to, to make money to keep the hospitals open so that we can provide care, you know, the, the financial side is a big piece of it. So I would say that's one thing. And then the second thing is I've really tried to look at the technologies that are offered and, and look at, you know, what does CDI of the future look like? So, you know, how can the technology assist us? You know, where is the technology limited? We'll always need a person. You know, what can technology free up a CDS to focus on if she's no longer, you know, looking through um, basic pieces of the medical record? So um, I would say, I guess that thousand picture uh, looks a little different now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I've really, you know, turned my, my focus into um, what's the future look like? And of course, how can CDI stay relevant? Those, those to me are, are two big things. Yeah. Yeah. From my own personal background, I was a teacher for several years. And it's funny how with the experiences that I gained, like how I think I was able just to bring more wisdom to the job because it started off just like, okay, I'm thinking only about my classroom. And then I started thinking about my school. And then I had some opportunities where I was able to go on a national level, see what is happening in education in general. And I, and I just can imagine those, like, as I hear you speak and, and as I hear you talk about it, that you're able to come at this a lot more informed and, and hopefully bring a lot more wisdom to the table when you're talking about CDI to the people that are in these different positions based on who you're helping with your, your role at Nuance. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So as we talk about this then, uh, and kind of even in that context, how do you think CDI, a CDI professional can elevate their role to more of an advanced practice? I would say advanced practice is going to come with two things. Um, number one, just time in the industry. I think, you know, one of the things a lot of people are, it takes at least 12 months for a a nurse or or someone new to CDI to really feel comfortable just in the role. Um, You know, and I I always, a lot of times I compare it to bedside nursing. Uh, You know, it takes you a while before you see all kinds of patients and all kinds of diagnosis. I would say CDI is the same type thing. Um, You know, it just takes some time, some exposure, that work with the coding department and coders to really learn the coding rules and regulations. I think for a lot of CDSs, uh, that's really where that initial learning curve comes from. So um, time would be the first thing. The second thing would be education. There are so many educational resources out there at no cost to people. So, so I would say that would be another thing. And another part of education would also be podcast, pre-recorded things, 
There are state associations that might offer educational opportunities as well. If you like to do the on-site thing, you know, AHIMA and ACTUS both offer educational opportunities. Um, so, so those would be my biggest things. And then the other last word of wisdom I have on that one would be if someone offers you the opportunity to participate in a journal article or a webcast where you can really talk about, you know, what you've done with your program or, or um, have some open dialogue about a current thing going on in the industry that you really should push yourself to do that. Those kind of things really open up your exposure and your ability to make contacts outside your organization, outside your own state. And then, you know, you never know what kind of opportunities will come your way once, once you receive a little bit of that exposure. But I specifically, related to the advanced practice, I think the two things there are really time and education. They're seeking out that additional knowledge. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And even I know from your standpoint, even outside of this cast, you've had some opportunities to speak. What are you passionate about or what do you like to talk about in this realm of CDI? Jeff, I could talk about CDI all day long. So I have many, many passions when it comes to CDI. Uh, one of my favorite uh, historical topics has been clinical validation. It's relatively new on the scene of CDI. It came with some controversy about who was uh, most appropriate to send that type of clarification. And then thirdly, I feel that it really does require that advanced clinical knowledge as well as the ability to communicate with your physicians. And, and that seems to be an area where where some CDI struggle is that face-to-face conversation with a physician about, you know, what he's documented and, and what that means or doesn't mean, you know, those can, can be some difficult conversations. So I enjoy having that ability to speak at different programs. The last time I actually went to an event in Actus, I participated in a panel discussion and I always like those. Um, We use the, AHIMA updated practice brief as our, our our discussion topic. And then I was there. There was a, another manager of a CDI. And then there was an HIM director. So it was, an, it was a really cool panel discussion with three different points of view uh, about the, the paper. So um, all things CDI, Jeff, I'm mm-hmm. always open. <laughs> yeah, I think the one that caught my attention is when you were talking about the communication through the chain, because that's something that for if our listener has heard from the other episodes, there's definitely some themes that have come out. One is the finance side of things, like you mentioned. Another yep. one is the general improvement that it can have in terms of consistency. And it sounds like more specifically in terms of proper diagnosis, like out of the gate, opposed exactly. to opposed to fixing anything else. But because these different areas uh, each each part of the chain is so important. Um, it, it's interesting that you bring up the conflict that can happen from, say, physician or, or even if we just generically say the write-up to the person that's translating the write-up and then even how some of the CDI solutions can help alleviate that or help make that easier. Exactly. I, I've worked with providers or physicians for a long time and it always surprised me at sometimes their lack of knowledge about how 
their patient's record is actually coded or, or how it ends up on the back end. Some of the concepts or philosophies that they had were just not accurate. And, and so um, when I started in CDI, I felt like that was the initial conversation I had to have with a lot of the physicians was, you know, this is, this is how we coded and build this case for your patient XYZ. And sometimes they would look at it and be very surprised. So, uh, so I think that's a, a great place to start. Because again, what sometimes we think clinically uh, doesn't always apply uh, to the rules and regulations of, of coding. And so I think that that's a, a big learning curve for a lot of physicians. Um, and so I, I feel often if we don't start with that conversation and we roll into you can't call this sepsis because you have no source of infection, you're probably not going to be as effective. So again, I think really gauging where are your providers in the understanding of, of how all this complex documentation and then coding and then billing works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with this then, like, I mean, even on that note, how does evaluating uh, CDI from a traditional program impact the hospital? The traditional evaluation of a CDI program impacts the hospital generally financially. So that's how, that was, I think, initially the impetus that you'll see. And a lot of times that's when a new program, that's what they're looking for. They want to increase their case mix index, which therefore will increase the dollars they're able to bring into the door. Um, but the other things that we're starting to see now, which I think is, is a bigger focus of CDI in the current state, is risk adjustment, mortality adjustment, quality indicators. So it there are so many other things that are impacting the reimbursement of the hospital or the ability of the hospital to keep their doors open that the world of documentation has almost evolved to be more complex. <laughs> I, I don't think any of us really wanted it to go that way. But, you know, and one of the struggles for physicians is, for example, when you look at a heart failure diagnosis, there's one thing that's required for quality reporting, certain language related to the heart failure. But there's a different language that's required for coding and documentation capture of the acuity of a heart failure patient. So not only does your physician have to learn how to document it accurately for coding and, and billing purposes, but there's a whole nother um, set of guidelines that they're held accountable and, and reportable related to quality. And, and so again, I think, you know, that's where CDI has just expanded and, 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 and grown into areas that I think probably initially, you know, 15 years ago, they, they didn't know that they, they would be touching. And, and now today it's become a uh, mainstream of, of part of what programs are looking at. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. What about more on the, the personal level? Do you have any stories that stand out to you about how CDI has impacted a patient or a hospital? So in working with a medical specialty, I met with the head of the specialty and we were talking about their most prevalent diagnosis that they were seeing and the acuity of those patients. And, and one of the things that we found was that the acuity of the patients on paper looked like they were less sick than how the provider or specialty group thought their patients were. They felt like their patients were really sick. 
and that they were taking really great care of them. But then what we found on paper was that they only looked marginally sick and that they were taking okay care of them. So we started to really look at the documentation and the coding of some of the cases that they felt were, were good examples of sick cases. So what we found was that they, they really weren't doing a very good job of documenting the acuity of their patients. There were a few different reasons. One of the biggest reasons was that they weren't using the exact or, or the right language. So um, they were using terms that didn't really communicate to something that a coder would be able to code. So it meant something clinically to the physician, but it didn't translate into something that was codable into the medical record. The other thing that we found was they didn't understand how a primary diagnosis was chosen. Um, so for example, it has to be present on admission. We will never choose your primary diagnosis off something that occurred after the provider or physician decided to put the patient in the hospital. So whatever that rationale is in the emergency room or, or the clinic or, or however the patient is sent to the hospital is actually what's used to code the record. And so one of the things that we found was they had some really funny answers as to how they thought that was chosen. One of them told me that he thought it was the very first thing that was listed on his discharge diagnosis list. So whatever first thing he put on there was how that worked. <laughs> And man, he was so disappointed when he learned that that was not how things were actually occurring uh, on the coding side. So, so again, I, I really feel like um, it, it goes back to some of those basic conversations about how the clinical care of the patient is translated into coding and then sent to, to billing. It, that those conversations seem so very basic, but I guarantee you in most hospitals, if you sat down with physician leaders, you would find some of them that had no idea how this process actually works. And without knowing how it actually works, I'm not sure that you could do a good job of being all inclusive. And the other thing we specifically found in that provider group was um, things beyond their specialty they didn't write about. Um, so, for example, if they had a problem with their feet and this was a, a cardiology clinic, sometimes they didn't address the issues with their feet. Or adversely, if it was a, a neurologist, he might not be um, talking about their respiratory status. Well, those things, you know, all play together. Um, so that's where those initial conversations about how does it work, you know, it, it starts in the ER, it ends at discharge, everything that you're saying throughout this record is looked at and considered and when we query you, we need you to provide us that additional information because it wasn't there or we wouldn't be asking that question. So, so I would say that that's our biggest piece. It's always kind of going back to the beginning of um, determining what the level of understanding is and then how do you bring success. And, and you know, it, it's funny. It, I laugh because some of those conversations at first are, are really difficult. The providers are looking at you like, I don't care. But you know, you have to kind of care about the words that are used to get to that coding so that you show that you're taking care of patients that are as sick as they are and that you're doing an awesome job. Because again, if it's not in the document, it won't get coded and, and then 
it's not reported. So publicly reporting wise, you, you don't look like you're such a good provider or physician. Um, so again, I think, I think a lot of it is in, in that understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just sounds like I could easily see the pushback on it because you know how many responsibilities providers and doctors and everyone has anyways. And so to, do this thing that seems like secondary or tertiary in terms of I got to fill out this paperwork, but it is a representation whether we like it or not. And the more accurate we can be, it's just, I don't see how it, everybody wins, like just everybody wins in that scenario. Exactly. And so one of the things that I was actually able to do um, was related to remember how I told you about wording. Mm Mm-hmm. I had a surgeon that had a a high, what we call complication rate on paper. So on paper, it looked like a third of his patients were having a post-operative complication. So then of course I went to the, the records, the medical records. I pulled all of those cases that the third that looked like they had complications. And what I found was what was going on with the patients was expected after the type of surgery that they had had. So then I dug a step further and looked at what was being coded. Because of the language that the provider was using, calling it post-operative, before he said whatever it was, the coder was taking those things to a complication code. Now, this was before ICD-10. But just in finding out those things, I was able to go back to the provider and I was able to say, I have a I have a suggestion. If you will stop using the terms post-operative when you're writing notes on your patients after they have surgery. So you can say that they're going to um, use their, their breathing machine because they have atelectasis. We expect them to have that after surgery. But don't say they have post-operative atelectasis. His complications went from a third down to less than 20% in three months because he stopped using one word. So as, as we start to wrap up here, then what do you feel like if the listener listener is going to take away one thing from this conversation regarding the importance of CDI, what is it that you want them to know? The goal of every CDI department should be at the end of the day, the most accurate medical record we can give the patient. Accuracy, accuracy, accuracy. And if we all focus on that, at the end of the day, we'll have less denials. We'll have less, you know, benchmarking that we need to meet. Again, I, I think if that's our focus on every case we look at and every, you know, conversation we're having with our providers, that the other things will just fall in place. I love it. Super helpful. Angie? Thank you for your time. Thank you, Chef. Thank you for listening to Nuance in Healthcare. To learn more about Nuance's AI-powered solutions and services, or to learn more about the show, please visit nuance.com forward slash healthcare. That's nuance.com forward slash healthcare.